Great stuff. So everyone ready for the Word of God? Great stuff. The Word of God is amazing, isn't it? It's so good. So three weeks ago, um, obviously Stephen Smith and Dan Webb spoke the last two Sundays and had lots of good stuff about, about those messages. I haven't had a chance to listen to them myself. I'm looking forward to doing that. It's going to be good. Um, but three weeks ago and the week before that, I started a series on who is the real Jesus. So I just want to say a bit more about that this morning. I believe this morning God still wants to draw out of that. Everything this morning has all been about Jesus, hasn't it? As church always should be. He's ahead of the, he's ahead of the church. Amen. So I want to continue to talk about who is the real Jesus. So just to give a little bit of a background and just to remind you all what it's all about. Matthew 16, verse 13 to 17, we, we looked at... And it says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist and some say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. It's like the first instance, or certainly it's the first recorded instance, when the disciples, I don't know, almost like the pennies dropped, isn't it? This, this, is who Jesus, uh, this is who Jesus is. And, you know, so at that time there were lots of different views about who Jesus, who Jesus was. And to some extent there was some, some confusion about who Jesus was. Like, Here's this guy doing miracles, what's this all about? Is he, is he some kind of prophet or, or you know, who, who is he? Though Jesus made it clear over and over again who he was. But there's a lot of confusion at the time, and, and, it's, and it's still true in our society today, 2,000 years after Jesus uh, lived on the earth, and now reigns in heaven forever. But 2,000 years later, there's still a lot of confusion, isn't there, about who Jesus actually is. Is he just like a good person? Did he kind of do some good teaching? Was he a bit of a, I don't know, nutter? Um, you know, the people, these are things that people can think. Did he even exist? You know, and of course, it's just all things out in society um, you know, the people people can think or just feel it has no relevance to their lives or whatever. But we know who Jesus is, amen? And and it's really important for us as Christians. I mean, it's, it's really important the world knows who Jesus is. And that's what we've got. Obviously, there's a responsibility on us, you know, for God to use us to to reveal that to others and to talk to them about who Jesus is. But even as Christians, we need to make sure we have the correct view of who Jesus is. Because sometimes we can, even as, as believers, we can try and put Jesus in a box, our kind of nice kind of safe box this is what jesus this is what jesus looks like this is who he was and put him in this nice safe box and one thing about i don't think it's good to put, even put people in boxes but especially with jesus he, he isn't there's no box that can define who jesus is you know sometimes we can we just forget just kind of how radical jesus was and his teaching how how radical it was it was totally countercultural. You know, we think about our culture in this day and age and kind of all the crazy stuff that's going on you know, the culture that Jesus spoke into was crazy. A lot of crazy stuff was going on. It was run by the Romans. They, they were, you know, the culture was not pleasant. There's a lot of stuff accepted then that we definitely wouldn't accept now as part of society. So, so you know, things, things, were, things were crazy. And, you know, and the Romans could do whatever they want. And soldiers could do whatever they want. And women basically had no rights. And kind of all that kind of children pretty much had no rights either. And kind of all that kind of stuff, um, it really wasn't great. Slavery was, was rife across the Roman Empire and just an accepted part of society. Um, you know, it wasn't, wasn't pleasant. Men could pretty much do whatever they wanted, especially Roman men. Just kind of got away with murder, literally. <laughs> literally got away with murder. And because there's, there's no kind of justice. Um, justice was very, kind of very kind of, um, 
uh, you know, corrupt, you know, even Pontius Pilate himself, you know, of course it was all part of God's plan going on, but obviously even Pilate himself, he knew for well Jesus was innocent, but still sent him to his death, didn't he? I mean, that was how corrupt the whole system was. All Pilate was worried about is there was going to be a riot, and the riot would get, that news would get back to Caesar, and then Pilate would lose his job. That's what Pilate was worried about. It's just self-protection. He knew full well Jesus was innocent, and stated that a number of times, didn't he? So, you know, that was kind of like how, how the kind of system worked. It was, just, it was just a mess. So it's really, really clear we, we, we understand who Jesus was. And then we don't have a Western view about who Jesus was. Jesus wasn't British. <laughs> he wasn't American. He wasn't European. He, wasn't, he, wasn't, he didn't kind of like fit into any kind of political box. He didn't call himself a socialist. He wasn't a capitalist. He wasn't a conservative, a Republican, a Democrat. He wasn't a Labour, Labour Party supporter. He wasn't, Jesus wasn't political at all. He wasn't swayed by public opinion. We wouldn't allow people to put him into a box. He wasn't affected by people's preconceptions of who, who they thought the Messiah should be. And, and, and when he had misconceptions about that, he wasn't distracted by that either. He wanted people to understand who he was, absolutely. But he wasn't prepared to fit anyone's misconceptions about what the Messiah, Messiah was. And even the Jewish leaders and the rabbis who, of course, knew the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, knew it inside out. And, and knew who the Messiah was supposed to be. Even they didn't really get it, Jesus, did they? He just didn't fit into their box. In, in, in their head, they got this view that, that, that Jesus was going to come on like a, you know, on a horse and was going to be this amazing soldier and was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. And Scripture doesn't say that, but that's, how, that's their, their, their view of how it's going to be. And things like Isaiah 53, which talks about the suffering servant and what Jesus was going to do on the cross, they kind of um, just kind of ignored that or just didn't understand it. So it's really important for us as Christians that we have the correct view of who Jesus is. Amen. We don't go to extremes. We don't to extremes on that. Um, we've talked about two kind of two areas over those two weeks. Firstly, Jesus wants us to change. Jesus wants you to change. I hope that's not a shock to anyone. Jesus wants us to change. Jesus wants us to be more like Him. We aren't Jesus, of course. We're not Jesus, but we, Jesus wants us to be more Christ-like, to be more like Him. Amen. And then we kind of looked at another kind of like a facet of who Jesus was. So as well as he wants us to change and he wants us to live holy lives and righteous lives and all that stuff is absolutely true. But, but also, just about, we talked a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, about the love, compassion and mercy and grace of Jesus. Just the way he just, just, just incredible way Jesus just dealt with people in mercy, grace and love. He still wanted them to change, absolutely, that was true. But the mercy he had was just, was just incredible. And the grace he had was, it was amazing, and his compassion for people. And so often he'd be off doing something like praying with his father, and it just, and the people would just come after him, and you know, he almost like couldn't get a moment's peace. You know, he, he, there's one passage you know, it says he went off in a boat to go and pray, and they still managed, they still managed to find him. I don't, know, I don't know how they did it, especially in those day and age where I don't know how they discovered where everybody was, but they still managed to find Jesus. But every time it says he had compassion on the people. He was prepared to be inconvenienced over and over and over again for the benefit of others. That's a great example to us. Amen. So who is the real Jesus? Who is Jesus? The king is the king of kings and, and the Lord of lords. And he's the king of the kingdom. The king of a kingdom, but king of the kingdom. King of the kingdom of God. Amen. And the kingdom of God and, and what Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. This is the, the concept we need to grasp. Is, is the kingdom of God is in a whole arena of its own. It's far beyond any human ideas or concepts. This is what I was saying earlier about it's not, you can't fit into some even a political box. You know, humans have concepts and ways that we run society. And I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm, I'm not saying that. Some of it's bad. But I'm not saying it's all, all bad, all human ideas. But what I am saying is that the kingdom of God goes way, way deeper than any kind of human ideals 
Amen? Jesus taught on, on the kingdom and its principles over and over again, and, and, and it was radical then, and, and it, it was radical then, and it's kind of context 2,000 years ago, and it's still radical today. You know, I, I read some stuff, I think it was President Obama, but I don't want to misquote him, because it might, might not be him, but I think it was President Obama, when, when he was president, said about Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he said, he said we, we can't take this literally, this is just too radical. That's what he had to say about it, if it wasn't him, I'm sorry, President Obama, <laughs> okay. but I'm sure, I'm sure, in my head, I'm sure it was him. Anyway, but just basically he was saying, about we just can't take Matthew 5, 6, and 7 literally, because it's so like extreme in a radical sense, not extreme in a, you know, in a weird sense, but extreme in a kind of a radical, so countercultural, so kind of like to the point, and there's a whole different way of living. Maybe he, just felt, he felt offended about it politically, I, I don't know. But this is the reality of what Jesus said, amen? It's radical then, and it's radical now, totally counter-cultural. And you read it throughout the Sermon in the Mount, and things like, you know, things like love your enemies. You've, Jesus said this, you've heard it said that you could hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 2,000 years ago, they were amazed by that teaching. It says that over and over again, doesn't it? They were amazed at the teaching of Jesus. They were amazed at the authority he had when he taught. And, and still 2,000 years later, people are still amazed by that. What do you mean I've got to love those who, who don't like me? That's, that's a, that's, I, don't think I could, <laughs> don't think I could do that. And we can't do it in our own strength, can we? It's all because, but this is what Jesus said, right? Love your enemies, pray for those who, who persecute you. Amen? And there's lots of different teachings that we could talk about. But we have to remember how radical Jesus was. So it's really important that we have a correct view of Jesus. Amen? That we understand, understand who he is and allow him to continue to reveal his heart for us. And what I want to specifically talk about today is about uh, the relationship that Jesus desires with us. Basically, the contrast between relationship and religion. Now, one of the biggest misunderstandings about Christianity and society, is my observation, is, is, is the thing of the thinking that Christians are religious. Now, of course, we, we believe in a religion. I suppose you could put it in that context, yes. But as Christians, we aren't intended to be religious, are we? Now, this is one of the biggest misunderstandings in society. We're like, well, you're, we're just not one of those kind of religious nutters, <laughs> whatever people think about us. And, we're so, and the point is, well, no, we're not trying to be religious at all. In fact, Jesus had a lot to say about religion and, and what religion does and the way it binds people and ties them up. So Christianity is not about being religious. And Jesus had encounters with, with religious leaders over and over and over again to, to make this point and to deal with that. And, of course, Jesus' heart for them was his heart of compassion, love, and grace and mercy was for them to be saved, for them to see, to, to see the light. Amen. So Jesus, at that time, he brought a whole new, as he dealt with religion, brought a whole new culture, kingdom culture, you know, to deal with that. You know, and kingdom culture is very much a defined culture. I've talked before about this. It's like another message in itself, but how any kind of culture in any setting, it can either be a default culture or a defined culture, where you actually just allow a culture to happen, and it can be in a family, a marriage, a church, any, any context. You just allow a culture to happen, or you intentionally define what the culture looks like. And I encourage you all as believers to do that with your, in your family, situations, marriages, etc., to be defined. Don't just let a culture happen. Which, which will happen if, if you don't do anything about it, but define it yourself. No, well, this is what I want my marriage to look like. This is what I want a family to look like. Amen. This is what our finances, this is what our finances to look like. Amen. But so the kingdom culture is very much a defined culture, but very counter-cultural. Amen. But so I want to look at the difference between relationship and religion, because Jesus wants you to have a strong relationship with him. Jesus wants you to go deeper in, in your relationship with him. We're going to take communion at the end of the service. is to celebrate you know, what Jesus has done done for us but kind of my starting point this morning 
Well, that's like a long intro, but anyway, <laughs> we'll keep moving. Uh, the starting point is uh, that we all need to grasp, and I think most of us would, uh, is that salvation is an absolutely free gift that we have through relationship with Jesus. This is the, this is the starting point to all of this. Uh, dealing about what is it to have a relationship with Jesus, that we must understand this, this fundamental revelation that salvation is an absolutely free gift. Amen? What, about what we have as believers because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, the incredible gift of grace. And this is where what we're saying, we're saying that Christianity is not religious because we're understanding everything is just a free gift. We're not, we're not trying to earn it. Amen? Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10 says this. Paul writes this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world uh, and, of, and of the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Praise God. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches, incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace, and this is it's, it's verses 8 and 9 I really want to focus on, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What an incredible passage of scripture that is. Just basically, it's just an incredible summation there by the Apostle Paul of what Jesus has done for us, what he's rescued us from. Amen. So verse 8 and 9, in particular, I want to focus on, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So I just want to kind of just break verse 8 and 9 down. So it all starts with grace. It's by grace that we have been saved. I mean, grace, it literally means unmerited favor. You know, as believers this morning, we have the unmerited favor of God upon us. Aren't you glad about that? Amen. We didn't do anything to merit it. It's, it's a blessing from God. That's what grace is. Amen. The Bible says we'll be given every spiritual blessing in, in Christ. That, that's a gift from God to us through the cross. It says we've been saved through grace. We've been saved. So we've been rescued from our sin and our hopelessness. Amen. We've been brought into the family of God. Amen. That's how we've been saved. We've been brought out of the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son of His love. It says we've done this through faith. This is reality. Is this is the only part we kind of have to play in it? Because of course we do have a part to play. In a sense, we just have to accept it. So through faith, it comes. It's our belief that God is who He says He is, and that Jesus died for us. Amen. And, and died for our sin and took the punishment upon Himself. And this is the part we have to play. And obviously, you only need faith as small as a mustard seed. It doesn't have to be monumental faith. That's what, that's what Jesus said. We just have to accept that Jesus is who he, who he said he is, did what he said he did. Amen. This is the part that we, we play in it, but this is the only part we kind of play in it, isn't it? Just accepting the reality. Amen. It says, goes on to say, it's not from ourselves. You know, it's a gift. It's a completely free gift. You know, often with free gifts, you get that kind of strap mind, don't you? Or people say about, oh, it's, if it's too good to be true, then it probably is. And when it comes to Christianity, it isn't too good to be true. That's what's amazing about it, isn't it? It sounds like it's too good to be true. It's like, well, I don't have to do anything. Just accept the reality. Yes. Yes, that's, that's literally it. you just got to accept the reality of it. It's not too good to be true. Amen. And then it goes on to say, but it's not by works. So we've done absolutely nothing to earn it or deserve it. We don't, we don't deserve the grace of God. We don't deserve what Jesus did for us on the cross. We've done absolutely nothing to earn it or deserve it. And of course, this is what separates Christianity majorly from the, from the other faiths. 
um, around, around the world. It's we're not trying to gain acceptance from God. We, we know we can't meet his standards. And we're not trying to meet his standards. It's a totally free gift of grace. Amen? It says that no, no, no one can boast. That's how it ends off there in verse 9. So we, can't even, we can't even boast about it. In fact, all the glory just goes to God. Amen? All the glory goes to God. If you're a believer this morning, all the glory goes to God in your life. Don't ever, don't ever boast about it. You can boast about what God's done in your life. Yes, absolutely. That's the way of sharing your testimony, isn't it? But we, don't, but we don't boast about the fact, hey, I'm so amazing, I've been saved. We, we've done nothing, right? Just accepted the reality and what Jesus has done for us. You know, and in my own life, I've just learned so many lessons by this, you know, not to, not to, not to strive, not to, try and, not to try and work for it. And so often we can go into a default mode, can't we? Where we, we, it's, it's, I think it goes back to the whole thing about it's not too good to be true. Sometimes we still don't always get that reality. Sometimes we still try, don't we? We still strive. Like, or especially if we've messed up and we think, oh, no, I've done that again. Oh, now I'm going to have to try and earn God's acceptance. And, and like, we, we do, don't we? I, I've thought that. <laughs> Just leave me on my own here. Yeah, I don't know. Anyone else thought that? You know, and we do do that, don't we? We, we put, give ourselves guilt trips and, and uh, oh, you know, woe is me. I'm so, I'm so rubbish. I'm such a terrible Christian. And all those, those kind, of, kind of things. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Because it's a completely free gift. We haven't earned it. Stop trying to earn it. We can't, we can't possibly earn it. We're not trying to earn, earn God's favor. Remember, remember, it's unmerited favor. That's, what, that's literally what grace is. Amen? Amen? So there's so many lessons for us all in that, not to strive. Praise God. So that's kind of our starting point, is salvation is a completely free, it's a completely free gift. There's no clock up there, but I'm trying to keep an eye on the time. So salvation is a completely free gift through relationship with Jesus. But Jesus had a, had a big issue with religion. I don't mean Jesus had any bad issues. You know what I mean? But Jesus had an issue with, with people who were being religious and trying to kind of tie people up in knots in, in religion. So I want to look at one, one passage. This is in Matthew 15, verses 1 to 14, and there's loads I could have used. But it says this, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition? No, note the word tradition here. Not, not, not scripture. Break the tradition of the elders. They don't wash their hands before they eat. And I know there is stuff in the Old Testament law about you know, making yourself clean and that kind of stuff. I, I get that. Okay. But here's, it makes it clear. They're saying about tradition. But anyway, Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father. And so Jesus turns it around, as he always does. Turns it around on them. Not in, a, not in a, yeah, any vindictive way, but to, to, to expose their hearts. For God said, Honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. So again, it's a rule they just made up. Okay. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Some strong words from Jesus. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied this about you. So he quotes from Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to, to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, because this is what the issue was about that they brought up. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to Jesus and asked, do you, not, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Well, of course, he, of course Jesus knew that, because <laughs> he knows everything. Do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Jesus replied, every plant my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If the, if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. So Jesus has some real strong words here to say about, about religion. Remember, and these are the very people who should have known who Jesus was. These are the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they knew the Old Testament inside, inside out. So 
So Jesus, Jesus said that you know they were just using merely human rules, and at that time in society, at that time in the culture, at that time, there's just an obsession with with religion and and traditions. As I said, it makes makes it clear that there's a lot of traditions just going on here. It's not even a lot of this about Old Testament laws; just traditions that have been this kind of used over the years. And there was just kind of a, a real obsession with that, and you kind of see that over and over again in Jesus' ministry. You know, like. We haven't got time to look at the scriptures, but there were just loads of ridiculous rules they had at the time. Now, we know one of the things from the Old Testament was about honor, about keeping the Sabbath holy. Absolutely right. That is in the Old Testament. Absolutely. Although Jesus made it clear he's Lord of the Sabbath. And, and um, the Sabbath was created for man to rest, not, not man for the Sabbath. But that's, that's kind of other scriptures we could look at. But there were just, just some ridiculous rules. You know, if Jesus heals the man, uh, the, the paralyzed man, and, and, and heals him on the Sabbath... And then the guy gets up. This has been an incredible, miraculous, incredible, amazing healing. They've never seen anything like this in Israel. And the guy then picks up his mat and kind of walks off because he's he, he had a mat with him the whole time because he was paralyzed, had to sit down or lie down the whole time. And the Pharisees and the teachers, well, they just had an issue about him picking up his mat. That was their issue, isn't it? Because they, in their random rules, they'd class that as work, which, which isn't, it's not in the Bible. But in their random rules and regulations, they said picking up a mat is work. So instead of celebrating this incredible, miraculous healing, the guy himself is completely overjoyed. And like, like, the people watching were like, who is this guy about Jesus? What well, kind of what's going on here? This is, this is amazing. But the religious leaders who should have known who Jesus was, they're just obsessed about the mat. This is, this is wrong. He's picked up a mat. Didn't anyone see it? And you see that a number, a number of times where Jesus also healed others on the Sabbath. The person with the withered hand who Jesus healed in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And again, they just had a massive issue with the healing itself. Jesus, I'm not saying Jesus was intentionally winding, intentionally winding them up, but I think in some cases he did do it deliberately. It's like, I'm going to do it on the Sabbath to show who's got the authority here. It's like, you can have your issues, but I'm, like, you know, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, right? So Jesus deliberately healed them on the Sabbath. And then again, they have a, they have a huge issue about it. Well, uh, yeah, okay, it's a great healing, but you shouldn't have done it on a Saturday. And it's like, this is, again, these ridiculous rules. Because, but, but the reason for that is because, again, they'd class healings as work, just a made-up rule. Some, someone somewhere decided, well, that healing's work, so we can't have that on a Saturday. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Remember, remember, God created just to have a day of rest. That was the purpose behind it. I'll have these kind of weird rules and regulations about it. So that was kind of their big issue. And Jesus said, we've got time to look at all the scriptures, but Jesus then responds by saying, hang on a minute, if you've got, like, if, because, you know, shepherds, shepherding was a big, big kind of thing in society then. It's like, if you've got one sheep and it goes and falls in a pit on a, on a Saturday, on the Sabbath, are you, re- are you saying you wouldn't go and rescue it? You're like, well, sorry sheep, I'm going to go back on Sunday, you might be dead, <laughs> or eaten by a wolf or a bear or, or whatever. Um, I'll, come, I'll come back tomorrow. No, you go, you go and rescue it. So why are you saying you do that for a sheep but you wouldn't do that for a human? This is, these are your crazy rules. This is the point that Jesus was making. So religion and rules, it was just stifling the people, it was, it was binding the people, it was just binding the people. Jesus in verse 13 said it was about the religious leaders. It was like the blind leading the blind. What a statement. But he was like, if you're just going to follow these people, you're, just, you're not, not going to find your, find your way because they're just going to tie you up in knots and bind you in religion. So Jesus brought a whole new culture of relationship. This whole principle about having a relationship, a relationship with, father, with the Father through Jesus was kind, of a whole new, was kind of a whole new thing at the time. It was totally countercultural. They had this whole culture of being religious. Amen. And, and, and as believers now, if we see Christianity simply as a list of rules, so that of course God wants us to change and live holy lives. Absolutely. Okay? So don't misunderstand me. But if we simply see Christianity as a list of rules and regulations, we've totally missed the point of Christianity. That's not, Jesus didn't die for a list of rules and regulations. 
And then Jesus died so we could have life, amen? And life to the full. I read this great, great quote this week that, that really blessed me. I read it to Wendy earlier. I don't know whether you like fishing or not, but this is what's in the, in the, in the quote. Ian, you like fishing. Um, and I was like fishing. Anyone else not like fishing? <laughs> a few. Anyway, but it's great because it talks about the original relationship. Anyway, it says this. Religion is a guy in church thinking about fishing. Relationship is a guy out fishing thinking about Jesus. That really blessed me. Well, that's great. You know, we could put that in any context. Religion is, is a person in church thinking about fishing or shopping or biking or relaxing, chilling out, whatever. Things you like doing. But relation, relationship is a person out fishing, shopping, biking, relaxing, thinking about Jesus. That's the difference between religion and relationship. Amen? So what does a healthy relationship with Jesus look like? That's kind of my main kind of thing for this morning. So what does it actually look like to have a healthy relationship with Jesus? How do we maintain a healthy relationship? Because Jesus wants our relationship with him to be healthy. He wants all our relationships to be healthy in life. Sometimes we can't control that because it's other people's decisions. I get that. But, in terms, but especially with our relationship with Jesus, Jesus wants it to be healthy. and wants it to be strong. wants it to be stronger than it was yesterday. Amen? So here's how to maintain a healthy relationship with Jesus. got three points like any great sermon. Can't go wrong. Allegedly. Okay, so number one. How to have a health, healthy relationship with Jesus. Number one, commit to invest in your relationship with Jesus. Commit to invest in your relationship with Jesus. Matthew 22, verse 34 to 39 says this. Hearing that Jesus silenced the Sadducees, that's more religious leaders again. The Pharisees got together, so they're all trying to trip him up again. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Some translations say, well, in... I think it's also recorded in Mark and Luke. Some say, and with all your strength. It's a direct quote from the Old Testament. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, because then with all your strength. Basically, all that you are. With all of your being. So commit to invest in your relationship with Jesus. What you put into your relationship with Jesus, the more you put into your relationship with Jesus, when uh, Pastor Wendy talked about this earlier about, about praise and worship, it's a reality, isn't it? The more we invest in it, the more we get, we get out of it. Not, and I, when I say get things out of it, I know essentially it's about, or ultimately it's about glorifying Jesus, whether we got anything out of it or not. He should be glorified. Everyone agree, right? Whether we got anything out of it or whether he, Jesus ministered to us or not, he still deserves our praise. But he does want to minister to us, praise and worship. And, and the more we put into it, the more we get out of it. Amen. So commit to invest in it. Now, I was thinking about the context of what's going on at the moment. We're in a very dry summer. We often complain about the weather in this country, don't we? We've actually had a very dry, incredibly dry year. I think it was the driest July since, like, 1930 or something, I think. And obviously, we've now got ho- you all know we've got a hosepipe ban, haven't we, since Friday. Uh, joys. Um, so we're now on a hosepipe ban as well. And notice around, the grass is starting to get very brown, isn't it? Going to get very, very brown. The grass is incredibly resilient, and it'll probably be green again by September. Um, but it is starting to get very, very brown because of lack of water, uh, a lack of water and a lack of, lack of rain. And, and this is just kind of context I was kind of thinking about is, is I think so often we, we don't water our relationship with Jesus. And, and the reason we can, feel, we can feel dry and we can feel like, I've heard Christians say, oh, I'm kind of in a desert experience. Well, I don't believe Jesus is taking you in a desert experience. Now, and I know people go, we go through stuff, Absolutely. But don't believe Jesus like disappeared and kind of left you on your own. Well, of course not. He promised he'd never leave us or forsake us. Jesus hasn't gone somewhere. Um, and even if we go through the darkest valley, his rod and his staff are comfort us, as Psalm, uh, Psalm 23 says. So, so I know what people mean when they say it, but I kind of think, yeah, but is actually God, 
I think people can misunderstand it. And they're almost like making God the issue. Well, I just feel so distant from God right now. Well, God hasn't gone somewhere. <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you implying here? That, that God's got some kind of issue with you. Um, he hasn't gone somewhere. If we're feeling very, very distant from God, we need to do something about it. Amen? We need to commit to invest in our relationship. Maybe their things feel dry because we're not watering it. We're not spending time with God. And where it says here about love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind, you know, that means spending time with Jesus, making that a priority, loving him above all. You know, there's so many things in there in our world, and we all have different responsibilities that, that can demand our time. And some, that's something we can just ignore. We can't just say, well, we're just going to, I don't think it would be wise advice to say, well, I'm just going to quit my job and spend 24 hours a day with Jesus. Well, the Bible doesn't say you should do that. Okay. But, so, you know, so we have got responsibilities, but we need to put Jesus first in, in all that we deal with. Amen. As people that, that get the word of God, get this incredible book down into our hearts, allow it to change us, not just read it. Remember, be readers and, and doers. James makes it clear. If we, if we read it but don't do it, we're, almost, we're basically wasting our time. It's, it's, I'm paraphrasing what, Jesus said, what James said. But that's, that's essentially the essence of it. He said if you, if you, if you read it, that, I mean, reading is still good, but if you read it but don't do it, it's essentially you're wasting your time because it's produced no life changing in you. Right? Let's not ever get into religious, you know, a kind of religious thing and, and, and our, our relationship um, you know, with Jesus and, and in terms of the Bible. This isn't about how many chapters a day you read, although I think it's a good thing and a good disciplined thing to read right through the Bible um, and, to, and to, keep on, uh, to keep on doing that. For me, myself, I read through the New Testament pretty much on a loop. You know, Matthew to Revelation, then I basically read it again. And there's obviously other stuff I'm reading as well. And I read through the whole Bible a number of times, straight through. Um, took a long time, <laughs> as it does. Okay, but uh, so I encourage you to do that. I'll get a Bible plan, and some have it in chronological order, and all those kind of things. Because, as you know, the Bible's not written in. I'm sure you know the Bible's not written necessarily in timeline order. So, reading, get, you know, get a Bible plan, whatever you need to do. But I'd really, so it's a great discipline to have. But let's never ever get religious about it. Because remember, reading the Bible is about it producing life change in us. If we're just, if we get into an attitude of it's kind of, oh yeah, I'm just so amazing. I read five five chapters a day. Uh, you know, I read five chapters a day, but it's not producing any life changes. You literally are wasting your time. I'm serious. I know it's a bit strong, but I'm serious. Because, because we're missing the point of why the Bible exists, is to produce life change in us. Now, one, I've said this a number of times, but one verse in the Bible can totally and radically change your life if you apply it to your life. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, which as you, as you all know is, is a scripture that I love, you know, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by a new renew of your mind. That, that can radically change your life, that verse. You just apply it to every area of your life. So let's never ever get religious about it. Does that make sense? Let's read the Bible because we want to read the Bible, not because we, feel we have to read the Bible. Again, there's a difference in religion and relationship. If you have to read it, it's kind of almost like keep God off your back. <laughs> almost, like, you know, almost like a child can think with a, you know, with a, uh, a nagging parent. And, you know, we've got two teenagers. And neither of them here, are they? All right, ignition. <laughs> you know, you, you do sometimes have to nag them. You do. I mean, that's, that's, that's face facts, face reality. But, but, God, but God, and, you know, and I know sometimes our kids will do stuff just to keep us off their back. I mean, that is true. They will. And, but, some, but we need to make sure we don't carry that into our relationship with God. I mean, just like, oh, oh, I must read the Bible today because God's going to be angry with me, going to be annoyed with me, send me to my room, you know, whatever kind of analogy you want to use. Well, that's, that's ridiculous, right? Let's just read the Bible because we want to read the Bible, not because we feel we have to. You know, unlike human relationships, which, of course, in a human relationship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a parent and a child, whether it's a, you know, friends, whatever it may, may be, even work colleagues, whatever, unlike human relationships, which take more than one person to make them healthy, you can't do that on your own, you know, marriage, 
both people need to want to make need to make a healthy relationship. Well, this is not going to be all it could be, right? But unlike human relationships, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, it's all on us as to what that relationship looks like. Does that make sense? So in a marriage, like you need both people to actually want to make it work, absolutely. But the issue is never Jesus. This goes back to what I was saying just a minute ago. The issue is never Jesus. I'm going to agree. The issue is never Jesus, right? So if you're feeling dry, if you're feeling far from God, or, you just, or you're in a great place with God, but you just want to go deep in your relationship with God, let's do something about it. Let's be intentional about it. Jesus would absolutely love to have a stronger and deeper relationship with you than you had yesterday. He would love it. He would love for this week to be able to continue just to totally transform your life and to give, him more, uh, give you a deeper and deeper revelation of, of who he is and what he desires to do in and through your life. Jesus would absolutely love that to happen. He's not going to make you do it because he loves you too much, but he would love that to happen. Amen. Again, I've had to learn that so much from uh, my, own, my own life. Just by apply, applying those principles and just being intentional about it. That Jesus, I'm not in a, in a good place here or not in as good place as I could be. And relationship's not as deep as, I'm not as close to you as I could be. I need to do something about it. To be in, I encourage you all to be intentional about it. Because remember, Jesus is never the issue. Amen. So how to maintain a healthy relationship with Jesus. Number one. Commit to invest in your relationship. Spend, spend time with him. Make that a priority. Love your Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Amen. And Jesus would love to have a deeper and stronger relationship with you. Get into the word of God. Read the word, not because you have to, but because you want to. Amen. Number two, commit to always appreciate the relationship. This sounds like a, uh, maybe a strange one. Commit to always re- appreciate the relationship you have with Jesus. Now, what I mean by that is don't ever take your relationship with Jesus for granted. I don't mean it's going to go or it might end. <laughs> I don't mean that, obviously. But let's always have thanksgiving for who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Let's never ever take for granted what we're going to take communion later, as I said, but let's never ever take for granted what Jesus paid for us. Amen? Let's never ever take that for granted, what he has done for us, what it, what it, what it cost him. They gave his life for our life in exchange, a divine exchange, all that Jesus, Jesus went through you know, for us to have life. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know what it says there, give thanks in all circumstances. Let's be people that live thankful for the relationship we have with Jesus. So that's what I mean by committing to always appreciating relationship. You could use this in other contexts as well. This is great marriage advice. Always, always appreciate your spouse. Okay, that's some great marriage advice. Be committed to doing that and appreciating who, the, who they are. But in our relationship with Jesus, let's be people who commit to that. I'm always going to be thankful. I'm always going to be grateful for what Jesus did. I'm never ever going to take that for granted. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus did that 2,000 years ago. No, it's incredible what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago. It's, what gives you, it's what's given you life. It's what's given you the promise of eternal life. It's what's given you hope and peace and, and, and given you a future. It's what's pouring grace and mercy and love into your life because of that. As I said, as I said, mentioned earlier, he's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Even if you're facing some real challenges in your life right now, and you may be, and they may be very real, the reality is you have so much to be thankful for. Amen? Because if you've got nothing else to think, well, in all the crazy stuff that's going on, I don't know what to thank God for. Thank him for the relationship with you. I mean, that, that would be enough. Thank him for what he did for you. Thank him on a daily basis. Appreciate the relationship that you have. You know, and Thanksgiving also goes hand in hand with worship. Philippians 2, verse 9 to 11, Paul wrote this. Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let's be people that are thankful for what Jesus has done for us. Always appreciate that relationship, but also by the way that we honor and worship Jesus. Amen? 
And that's what essentially worship is, is honoring Jesus for who he is. Amen? It talks here about in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Worship is bowing the knee before Jesus. Worship isn't just about singing songs, although that is part of a worship. But worship is, is, is a lifestyle choice. Amen? Amen. Worship is, is choosing to, to live a surrendered life to the king. Now, this is the, the context of here. That in the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee should bow. You know, we live in a kingdom. We should, we should, this should be an easy principle for us to understand. You know, in front of the queen, our, our natural queen that we have, you know, and, and women are supposed to curtsy, and even other members of the royal family have to do it, don't they? Um, that women curtsy and, and, and men kind of bow, or at least bow their heads, uh, kind of in honor of who they are. And this is the context of what it's talking about here. It's about a recognition of who Jesus is. But the natural queen will do that because of the, the position uh, that she has. But Jesus is a king of kings and lord of lords. Amen. This is what it's talking about here. In the name every knee should bow, it's about recognizing who Jesus is. Jesus, I, I bow before you. I recognize you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I desire to be Lord of every area of my life. And that's what a surrendered life looks like. Amen. Laying down every area of our life, say, Lord, I lay it down at your feet. It, it is yours. It's no longer mine. It is yours. And, and I, I'd encourage you to do this and, and to do this directly. It's just to lay everything down before Jesus. Lay, lay down your finances. Lay down your family. Lay down your sexuality. Lay, lay down your marriage. Lay down everything. Lay down a job. Say, so, Jesus, I lay it all at your feet. I say, you, you are the king. And, and, I, and I bow my knee to you as the king. Amen. And I've learned so much about that in my own life, about the, the blessings that come when you decide to do that. Amen. So often the battles that go on in our lives is because we refuse to surrender. It's an analogy I've used before, but it's, it's true in a, in a war scenario. You think of like the First World War or even the Second World War. You know, the peace will only come when one side surrenders, right? That's basically, that's just the reality, isn't it? Reality of war. And, and war's a horrible thing. But that's the reality of what happens in war. It will only ever end if one side gives up, right? You know, and what happened in the First World War, and we remember this Remembrance Day, don't we? Is it, is it Germany who were just the, you know, kind of, well, who they, who they were at the time, um, you know, kind of gave up and, and surrendered. And then, and then there was peace because of that. I know 20 years later, it's another world war, of course. Um, but I'm just using that analogy to make the point that you only get peace when, when, when you surrender. And, and so often we don't have peace in our lives as, as Christians. There's so much turmoil going on in our lives, so much battle going on in our lives. It's because we just won't surrender. Amen? And that's when the peace of God comes, when you just lay everything down. God doesn't need to do any surrender. Obviously, it's only it's all on us. Amen? And you know, we're the side that needs to surrender. Amen? You know, I just encourage you just to kind of... Uh, um, in my blunt way, to say, just to get with the program. Let's accept Jesus for who he is. Get with the program. He, he is the king. He's loads of desires to do in your life. But if you're going you're gonna to have a constant battle in your, in your life if you, if you refuse to surrender. Okay, there's my pastoral advice. So, surrender. Lay it all down at his feet. Amen. That's when the peace of, peace of God will come. Amen. So, how we maintain a healthy relationship with Jesus. Commit to invest in that relationship. Commit to always appreciate the relationship. That's through thanksgiving and worship. And, and number three, this would be great in any relationship, in marriage, or any context as well. But number three, commit to have great communication in a relationship. You know, communicating with, with, with Jesus is really, really important. Amen? I can't stress how, how important it is. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, we read just a minute ago. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So Paul was encouraging us here to pray Continue, pray, pray all the time. Now, I know we can't always literally pray all the time because you might be at work and all that kind of stuff. You know, we can't, uh, it's just not practically possible. Well, what this is saying is, but as much as you can, be praying. 
And I encourage you to have a prayer slot in your day, etc. But also be praying throughout the day. Amen? It's what Paul's talking about here. Pray continually. And again, pray because we want to, not because we feel. It goes it's very similar to the word of God. Pray because we want to, not because we feel we have to. Amen? It's about building a relationship with Jesus. And also be people who allow, uh, sorry, who make prayer a priority in our lives, but also allow Jesus to speak to us. It should be a two-way communication. In fact, often Jesus should be doing much more of the talking than we are. <laughs> right? There's so often we can, when we pray, we go to, we go to Jesus with a whole list of, list of things. And that's, that's not wrong. The Bible talks about prayer and supplication and stuff and bringing those things before Jesus and casting all our cares. 1 Peter 5, 7 says about casting all our cares upon him because he cares for us. All those things are important. But, but so often I think we, we can do all the talking. And Jesus, you know, he's not going to say this, but almost like, well, he can't get a word in edgeways. He can't speak to you because we're doing all the talking. Jesus wants to speak to us. Give, give him room to do that and space to do that. And often he does that through, through his word or however yeah, kind of God speaks to you. But prayer should be a joy. Amen. Amen. So let's commit to having great communication. Let's commit to be people of prayer. We bring our supplication before God and bring our requests before God, absolutely, but also allow God to speak, Jesus to speak into our lives. Amen. And, and to change us and to reveal more of his heart towards us. I just want to read this quote about prayer. It kind of just, I thought it was really good. This preacher said this The heart knows its maker. Religion or relationship, which one describes your prayer life? Religion or relationship, which one describes your prayer life? Your prayer life dies when you become satisfied with religion. Stop going through the motions. You sit there in prayer and you say repetitive words and you know the heart is not right. You cheat yourself out of the presence of God. We might say, I spent half an hour in prayer today. I did my duty. No, prayer is not a chore. It should be a joy. It's a privilege to be in the presence of the Almighty God. We often take prayer for granted when it's something we do out of obligation and not love. This preacher said, I'm convinced that over 75% of believers do not actually pray. We've just become content with throwing words around. That's challenging, right? Challenging. But I think there's a whole load of truth in that. So let's be people of prayer. We commit to have great communication. Let's make it a priority in, in, our, in our lives. I mean, let's, let's make it real. Amen? You know, Jesus had, again had a lot to say. When the, when the Pharisees, they would use their big, big, long, rigidly, he just would use their big, long words, and they'd sit there, they'd be at like the corners of the, the street corners and shout out their amazing and like well-constructed, well-constructed prayers. And Jesus like, they're totally missing the heart of what prayer is all about. It sounds great. But it's like, but where's, where's their heart in it all? Jesus, Jesus dealt again. There was, there was a whole of religion going on there. It was about showing off and making yourself look great in front of others. But Jesus was like, no, prayer goes way, deep, way deeper than that. He said, just go off into your room, shut the door, and spend time, spend time with Jesus. And I'll spend time with the Father. Amen? So how do we maintain a healthy relationship with Jesus? Let's be people who commit to invest in it. That put Jesus first in every area of our lives. Lay, lay things down before him amen the people that always commit to appreciate the relationship we recognize his kingship we, we we're thankful we we're thankful for what he's done for us we worship him because of what he's done for us and there's be people that commit to have great also have great communication and our relationship amen so jesus can speak to us we can we, we intentionally lay aside time spend with him do that throughout the day if you're in, in your car there's loads of different places you can do it you know, I go to Portsmouth a few times a week, and it's a, it's a great opportunity just, just, to, just to pray and, 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 and to worship. And, you know, if you've got time in your car, taking the dogs for a walk, whatever your kind of world looks like, you can find time to pray. I mean, again, let's not be religious about it. I know Jesus did say about going to your room, and I mentioned that just a second ago, going to your room. But I don't, I don't think Jesus was saying that's what you literally have to do. He's just making the point about setting aside time to spend time with your father. He doesn't say you literally have to go into some like, obscure room somewhere. 
if you're out taking a dog for a walk, if you're out, if you're out going for, just going for a walk by yourself, or even with friends, or spending time in a car, let's just use that as a great opportunity to pray. Amen. And speak to Jesus and allow him to speak back to us and reveal more of his heart about who, who he is. Amen. And again, I've learned so many lessons in my own life in all this. And I think in a, in a natural way, way we can understand this. These, these would be great ways to build great relationships, right? But let's make sure we understand it in, in a spiritual sense about who Jesus is. Amen. We'd understand it in a marriage context or anything else. We need good communication. We need to invest in it and um, etc. We need to prioritize it. But let's make sure we're doing it in a relationship with Jesus. Amen. Because remember, the relationship you have with Jesus, it's up to you what it looks like. It's not up to Jesus. Amen. Jesus has done everything he needs to do. Amen. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And we're going to take, we're going to take communion now. Ian, if you, and the worship team, if you come up. And we're just going to celebrate what he has done for us. And it's absolutely worth celebrating. Amen. All that he has won for us. All that he has, all that he has bought for us. Amen. So as the worship team leaders, the communion cups um, will come around and then we'll all take that together um, in a second. But just let's have a heart of an attitude of just thankfulness of worship. Amen. Lay things down at his feet this morning. Amen.